Hello and welcome to the Forward Unto Dawn podcast. This is episode 39. I'm David and I'm joined by my usual co-host, Oh Danny Boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. Fuck off. I mean, hello. <laughs> I was watching Miller's Crossing recently. Um, and <laughs> our guest this uh, week is Uni Kraken. Hi there. And for people who do not know who you are, Uni, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So I am the lead developer for Sins of the Prophets, which is a Halo mod for a space strategy combat game called Sins of the Solar Empire. We also have a fairly popular offshoot uh, ship pack mod for Stellaris. Um, our, our big focus is you know space combat in strategy game settings. Uh, and I also happen to help moderate uh, the Halo subreddit, uh, Halo Wars subreddit, and I do a few other little things here and there. All right, and we brought him on to talk about absolutely none of those things. <laughs> it's a shame, too. It's a shame. I want to talk about Sins for Solar Empire. I love that damn game. And we will. One day. Damn it, one but day. This, not this day. This day, we talk about Halo Point of Light, which is the most recent uh, Halo book that came out, Halo novel by Kelly Gay. Uh, it was released uh, early last month, March 2nd. Uh, it's the sequel to 2019's Halo Renegades. And this book... I guess we'll we'll start before we get into a blow by blow spoilery uh stuff just about people's thoughts about the book. I love the book. Um I, I've really liked basically all of Kelly Gay's writing uh for the Halo uh universe. I I like her interpretation of, of how she weaves um the, the Forerunner past events from uh the Forerunner saga into her books. I, I like how it's been um it's been put together. And, and just the, the way that uh, we see Spark through her eyes, I think that's been really interesting. I don't, oh, I don't want to start off on a sorry note, but uh, I, I didn't Don't enjoy. worry, Danny. That's, that's why we've got you here. I did not enjoy the story, um, despite the, uh, the book's strengths. Um, I just didn't, I didn't enjoy the ride. Didn't enjoy the destination, unfortunately. Oof. Ah, oh, so we'll get into that. But Danny... I have to say, as I was reading it, I thought, Danny's not going to like this. And that's because <laughs> I stopped, like, kind of halfway through the middle of it. And I was thinking, this is the most Greg Barriest Halo book we've gotten since Greg Bear. <laughs> and in a way, like, I guess Renegades was, in some ways, a sequel to Primordium. Um, Greg Bear's Primordium. But it was really a sequel to the frame tale around Primordium. Um, and yeah. this one is sort of a sequel to the ancient Forerunner stuff in Primordium and especially Silentium. Um, and if you are not necessarily a fan of some of the stuff in the Forerunner trilogy, I can see where that would rub you the wrong way. At one point, I did kind of mention that this is, in addition to being the Greg Barriest book since Greg Bear, this is the walking around uh, Forerunner installationist <laughs> book since either Primordium or, depending on how you look at it, uh, Hunters in the Dark. There's a lot of like walking. There's no licking rocks, um, but there's <laughs> yeah, there's no diarrhea or licking rocks. Can't yeah, confirm. but there's there's a lot. Um, it's a shame that yeah, it is a shame. Thematically uh, sets that up. Um, it's definitely the most. I've always said that. Like, I mean, people. Complaining about like oh this Greg Bear stuff's weird. I'm like yeah, but it's never gonna like 
there's never going to be a game like that that's going to be like that kind of science fiction. Um, and right. this is this is the closest we've gotten in terms of bringing that stuff into the 26th century military sci-fi world that Halo normally inhabits. Um, and I think that's that's polarizing. I definitely agree with. It seems like the general sentiment is that people like this, just not to the degree of Halo Renegades. And I think that's kind of unfair just because, especially since we've been waiting so long to find out what the heck Spark was doing uh, at the end of Primordium um, and that Renegades tied up so much stuff in a way that, again, like Silentium, it was sort of this like giant, oh my God, all these answers get revealed uh, type book that yeah. this one, despite having some pretty big uh, like reveals in it, it's just kind of it can't hold a candle to that, um, and that's not really even a fault of the book. Um, but I I did like it. I think these books are great, uh, especially just giving a more. It's kind of funny because now they're running around with a a augmented foreigner ship and zooming around to go all these Halo installations. But it's still a here's what a normal person does in halo it's we're, we're not following around the unsc we're following scavengers or people who start out that way so i think that's that's definitely one of the things that uh gay's books have have done well um and it ends on a really to me sucky cliffhanger <laughs> like come on yeah um, i agree with you there but i i was i was definitely overall enjoyed it despite uh perhaps reminding me of of previous Halo books that were not my favorites. Um, I, I enjoyed the ride. So I guess we'll, we'll go through this blow by blow. Uh, we get a, a previously on Halo prologue. And one of the things, again, that's, that's different uh, from the previous books is there's a lot more monologue kind of uh, uh, chapters um, where it's just interior thoughts or people uh, just monologuing to whoever. Um, Although they, they do a nice little twist with that at the end. Um, and it starts off with uh, Spark talking about things, talking about his life as Chakas. His talk in the previous Renegades with the librarian's imprint on Earth, who basically told him, hey, you got to go on this mission. Um, and Spark drops the, the reveal that where they need to go is uh, Halo. Um, and there's a dun-dun-dun thing. And then it shifts to uh, three weeks earlier. One of the things I really like about these books is that they they play around with the time frames of um, the games. Like uh, uh, Renegades took place basically around, I think it's basically the the period between Halo Four and Spartan Ops. This one takes place concurrently, right before, and then concurrently with uh, Halo Five, um, and gives us a little some few little subtle bits uh, that tie into that um, the same way that Renegades gave us Gek and uh, tied in some of the stuff there. And uh, it's just after the events of Escalation 2, which doesn't really matter that much, but it comes up um, before Halo Envoy. So it's a nice, a nice little period of time they do stuff with. I like that setting as opposed to just everything for a while took place in 2552 or 2553 and we didn't feel like we were moving on or anything to to be honest i i think having so many stories happen concurrently with the events of halo 5 is kind of a a safe area to play and i i think it's a little too safe i'm 
given given the way that it was woven into what was going on, it made sense to do it like that. Um, but you know, of course, they designed the story ahead of time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they they could have had it happen at a different time, or they could have had events happen differently. Uh, I I do feel like having having your your story your your novel happen concurrently with Halo Five is just like they're they're not having to project or or set anything in stone afterward, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it it just seems very safe to me. Definitely safe. Safe and a boring choice. They could, they only push the story forward. We were supposed to be getting this what after Infinite came out, so we were getting our big dollop of, of fresh content, and this was like a little side dish. And without the uh, the main course, the side dish doesn't really hold up because we want more more development of the story to go on, and this feels like a a brick wall in one really important kind of way around that uh, that main game push. That's that's a good point. Uh to bring up is that yeah like in in the other weird alternate 2020 uh <laughs> halo infinite came out and who knows maybe it'd been great maybe it'd been terrible most likely people would have been complaining whether or not it was great or terrible it's not a halo game if people don't complain so it is kind of funny to think about it in that way uh it ties up a lot of threads from halo 5 that presumably weren't going to get dealt with in halo infinite because they're they're trying to do the quote-unquote spiritual reboot that's true. And they're not going to cover on cover random things like hey remember this thing from the halo 5 audio logs <laughs> so yeah it's not compared to uh shadows of rage which was obviously setting up a plot point uh for infinite much clearer this is definitely uh a bit aside um which Honestly, I'm fine with it, just in the terms of I like when my books don't have to be a giant, huge event about show-stopping importance and stuff. But that's just me. It works very well as a complimentary piece of material. Problem is, we don't have the main course to go down with it, you know what I mean? So it's kind of, it, doesn't, it wasn't supposed to stand on its own, so it feels weaker by default. And it's not a criticism, honest, definitely not, but you can see the context of which it was supposed to be uh, presented has been altered, and you can't escape that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you can definitely tell as you're reading some of the, the earlier stuff in the book where they where they get to the Halo ring that the intent was that this might have been a place where the player had been physically. Um, yeah, that would actually, that, was, that would be really cool if we do. Um, or that some of the stuff that they mentioned would explain like why we end up going to certain places in the, the game or not. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. I would like that. Um, I guess we'll find out when it finally comes out. And, uh, but we start off, uh, on the planet Sonata and, uh, Ryan, who this time I have learned that it's a Ryan and not Rion. Like I was mispronouncing when we did our renegades podcast, uh, the the one downside of not doing the audiobooks. Uh, she is gonna have a chat with mom Lane, uh, who has apparently just uh, gone gone native. She's living the hippie lifestyle on a nature colony that apparently produces future Splenda for the UEG. Um, <laughs> so we get uh we get a bit of a update uh what's been happening uh. Ryan and the Ace of Spades, her ship and her crew, have been on the run for six months from Oni after the events of Renegades. And she's she's popping down there. She doesn't think it's going to be a, a major uh, 
concern because she hasn't talked with her mom in forever, but she's there to to tell her what she's found out, that her dad, John Forge, is most definitely dead uh, after the events of Halo Wars. And there's there's family bickering. Um, it's interesting that the Kelly Gay does in what I think would be inconsistent with a lot of, of Halo media is actually, uh, I think, gives the mom a lot of sympathetic traits that she's basically, when uh, Ryan like tells her that John's dead, she's like, whatever, like I, I made my peace with it, which considering he's been gone for 30-something years is a totally healthy and normal response. But yeah. uh, Ryan is like, oh my God, I can't believe this. And uh, she's got a kid brother she didn't know about, Case, um, who's more friendly than mom. And uh, that's really all we see. <laughs> it's it's their sort of, it sets up uh, something that Oni is in fact surveilling her and gets on their tail. Uh, and a brief moment later when uh, Ryan's trying to figure out what she does next after this is all over, but mostly it's just a a little bit of character shading. Um, And I think this book does a lot better for me than uh, some of the previous books in terms of fleshing out these characters. Um, I really, every time they bring up the fact that her old partner died, I always forget. Like, oh yeah, that guy who was there and then immediately died and didn't have any real personality that we got to know. Um, so it's nice yeah. that these 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 characters are getting shaded in. I felt like that with most of Halo books. So maybe it's just me. Like it, it took me until the Thursday War to, to be able to tell all the members of Kilo Five apart. Yeah, this doesn't really matter. Maybe it'll get followed up in a sequel. Uh <laughs> Maybe we'll go on future Splenda excursions. Probably not. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't find the interactions between uh, Ryan and her mother to be all that surprising. I mean, that that's pretty much exactly what you would expect from, you know, a widower and um, somebody who lost their father when they were young. Uh, I mean, obviously the case, uh, the the brother, the younger brother showing up was a nice surprise. But I didn't. I didn't find any of that interaction to be kind of felt like filler a little bit. Yeah, I think you don't really need the the detail except for I guess that uh, Oni gets a message and tags Ryan's uh, mongoose with a, a drone, and that follows into how they're right. eventually tracked. But really, we'll see if it comes up later. Maybe it doesn't. Um, but they they catch around jump around to catch up with everyone else. Um, so Nico is in the Alpha Muro system, uh, and he's being blackmailed by an old partner named X. Doesn't want the truth to get out. And then on the Ace of Spades, Sparks continuing to monologue. I do say that it's not something I particularly noticed in Renegades, because there wasn't as much Spark monologuing. Uh, but Kelly Gay is really good at writing 343 Guilty Spark. Um, it's definitely one of those things where I haven't gotten the audiobooks because I just don't do audiobooks, but I can hear Tim Dadabo doing all those lines in my head uh, really well. I, I highly recommend it. I, I got, so I have the, the paperback that I got um, that I found early, and then I got the audiobook. Uh, Tim Dadabo, I mean, 
incredible as Guilty Spark. And and he does most of the voices pretty decently in this book. I mean, he's got a really great range. And so he can do male, you know, masculine and feminine voices pretty, pretty decently. Um, I and, and yeah, Kelly Gay, I think she writes Guilty Spark really well. It's it's one of my favorite things about uh, Point Light and Renegades is her um, her writing for for Guilty Spark and how he's interpreting things. I think he monologues a little bit much, but I think you know, given a, that you're a hundred thousand year old you know entity, you're you're allowed to be a little introspective. <laughs> can't uh, can't disagree with that. That's definitely one of the strengths of the book is uh, Spark's characterization throughout. It's consistent, it's strong enough, even if I don't like where it's going, but like. It's definitely uh, a pillar that the book stands on. Well, and he he gets to mess around with uh, the Ace of Spades crew, which is a lot of fun. And he doesn't lose the. He's not going to kill everyone, uh, but he could, <laughs> <laughs> and that's always the, the slight tension there. Um, and it it pays off. His like he's very deferential throughout the book to to everyone, except sometimes like nope, I'm taking charge. Um, and there's not really anything you can do about it. And so while he's definitely grown to be a crew member, they also make pretty clear, like, he doesn't know what he's going to do, but he doesn't want to see these people, like, die. He's, he's spending a lot of time thinking about the fact that he will live forever. Uh, and what does that mean? So he's, this entire time, uh, they've been hunting around, looking for possibly where the Spirit of Fire went. Um, but that plot thread is not going anywhere in this story. Uh, because Spark's like, hey, I got this life worker key. It's got a halo on it. Uh, we're going to go do this because you said you would. And uh, Ryan's good sport. She's like, okay, fine. That, that's one of the most frustrating things about the um, the Ryan storylines is that it, it starts off and she's so desperate to find at least some kind of information about her dad. And um, I I honestly was hopeful and expectant that we would find out more about, um, you know, I mean, obviously the spirit of fire in Halo Wars two ends up at, you know, the Ark. How does it get there? I was really hoping we would find that out in this book. And we like, they just say, Oh, well, we haven't found it yet. And then they move on to the, to the story at hand. And that's, that's a little frustrating for me. As anyone who's played an RPG knows you get distracted by that side quest. And then you can't remember, wait, what was the main story again? I've been like 30 hours into like running around killing hobgoblins. That's very spot on for this book, for sure. Um, <laughs> it, it is definitely a side quest that gets rolled up into something bigger. Yeah. Um, but we do get, uh, we also get some nice stuff. It's one of the, the things I think that she does a great job doing Spark, but it's also the question of like, well, he's not just 343 Guilty Spark now. He's He remembers his life as Chakas and like, what does that do as a personality? Um, and Spark, uh, he only remembers a little of his family, and then, but we get some some details about that. And it's nice. Um, meanwhile, Ryan has been dreaming of the librarian since the events of Renegades, which, man, that sounds like really terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot imagine. Hey, I've got this ghostly woman who just like wants to like control the future of humanity, talking to me all the time when I go to sleep. <laughs> it's not what I would recommend, but. It comes up later. Um, and actually, a lot of the plot of this book actually takes place in dream visions. <laughs> it does. You're right. <laughs> it's kind of have like this, this side vision quest thing that, that happens. Um, but they, they, they ace spades. Like, all right, we're going to 
go do this side quest. Uh, and they, they arrive at Emerald Cove, uh, where Lessa is, meanwhile, pondering leaving the crew for higher education. Uh, and this was, I underlined as perhaps the most shocking thing I have heard in a Halo book. Wow, higher education, college. I have not heard anyone ever talk about that aside from like military academy. Yeah, I was about to say the only thing we've ever really seen talked about is military academy these days. Yeah. So, so that, that is interesting. Yeah, and she's like, oh, I could even go to Earth, to the fancy schools. Um, <laughs> and uh, 343, Gilly Spark once again, or just Spark, sorry. Hard to have it to break. Uh, proving that he's still a guy with few boundaries has been reading everyone's mail. And so pops in, is like, Hey, when are you going to tell everyone you're going to be leaving? She's like, I'm not ready yet. And meanwhile, Nico and spark have had their side project of digging into little bits code. Who was, if you remember the fragmented foreigner AI, they found out at the Eastern Harborage, Um, and they basically got left with a chunk of him when Oni came and absconded with all their data. Um, but they're, they're trying to salvage, of the AI getting running again and maybe uh, locate the spirit of fire that way. Again, not anything that's going to happen in this book. And uh, Spark says uh, that they need to go to Zeta Halo. So installation 07, as we mentioned, the setting of Halo Infinite. Uh, they need to go to the Zeta Halo's cartographer and turn that key into a location, basically. And this is another part where keys turn into keys, turn into keys throughout this book. <laughs> which is another reason it feels very video gamey um yeah because everything's always leading to another thing so they they head off to the halo we get more spark monologues <laughs> <laughs> as a recurring thing it's and the structure of this book is also interesting because it's a lot of like two-page chapters um which i think is in general like a more halo book thing than like most novels that they, they they spend a lot of time jumping around and giving you very little things every viewpoint is its own chapter but sparks monologuing about hey going back to the halo which is kind of where he was tortured and everything went terribly and he recalls that and it's like wow this is terrible but at the same time his his sort of machine half is excited about returning to a ring uh, which is a very kind of classic 343 guilty spark moment and we get a a little detail that it only takes them basically six days uh, versus what would have normally taken a month and they're it's nice that they they have the characters like, oh man, this is so amazing with our hot-rotted foreignership, especially since basically speeds are irrelevant now for a lot of Halo things because everyone's got fast foreigner slip space drives running around and time. No one's going into cryo anymore kind of stuff. So it's nice to have it not taken for granted in a book for once. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that that's an interesting little sliver of, of life that they do because you know like with the unsc infinity it just zips anywhere it wants to go you know people are still like putting their armor on by the time it gets to where it needs to go so it's it is it is interesting and and it's nice to see that that side of of normal civilization still getting enamored with you know the 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 tech updates that are happening and what, what kind of stuff they're getting access to yeah um and so then they arrive at zeta halo um and we get some interesting uh, information they find out it's new to them but we of course knew that the the unsc is already there and have set up shop um it's orbiting uh a planet rather than a gas giant which is atypical there's uh, about 
3,400 UNSC on the ring, like 400 scientists. And that's a crazy military to scientist ratio to me. But I guess those guys are all going to be dead when we, we arrive on Hello Infinite. Um, and Oof. a detail which I don't know had ever been covered, that the Halo doesn't uh, generate its gravity by spinning, which is interesting, uh, because it could spin and generate its gravity that way, uh, but it doesn't need to. And then uh, Spark gives uh, people who didn't read Primordium sort of an update. If you forgot it or wanted to forget it, too bad. Um, we also get, among other sort of interesting installation zero seven stuff uh we get the monitor who uh we already knew hasn't shown up um and we don't know what happened to them but it's despondent pyre which i wrote in my notes is perhaps the most emo (laughs) forerunner name we've gotten yet (laughs) nailed it here we're part of despondent pyre gonna sing our song about everyone's dead and i killed them uh (laughs) But uh, then we get uh, Halo Adventures. Um, they land inside the ring. Um, and it's interesting here is that we get uh, this details that they basically land in what's basically an abandoned part of the ring. Um, and Spark gets to freak them all out by pointing out that there could still be flood on the ring. And they are all very concerned and also ask the obvious question, why would they do that? And he gives them, well, they were extra galactic, so like not having them in the ring wasn't an issue. Uh, but uh, the cartographer uh, was apparently destroyed or damaged or something, so it's been recreated. And apparently the Halo has that ability to sort of, if you blow up an important installation, it reforms somewhere else, which is pretty cool. And we get, uh, for the people who complain that there isn't enough Covenant lore and stuff, Covey Cannon and all those people, we get uh, an elite myth, a mention, uh, that they have the Hall of Eternity, where there's like the god carrying the flame of hers eternally and calling out the names of the dead. And they sort of latch onto that as a way of making things less spooky and also honoring the people they've lost. Um, and I thought that was a nice little detail. Yeah, I thought it was nifty, and I, I imagined that it made Nakai giddy. And then I saw him tweet about it, so I knew. Yeah, like, and it's Cubby it's also it good that it, it ties into uh, Ram Chalva, who uh, was, and I had totally forgotten that he was, they basically find him when he had been captured and tortured by uh, the hands of Gek um, in the Covenant. Um, so Ram calls out the names of his crew that he's lost. Um, it's a nice little character beat. While uh, Spark is sort of reminiscing about the battle days, uh, and he's got a lines about how he will never forget and will never forgive. Like, okay, <laughs> he's. It's. Uh, I think it's nice to have. We didn't really get that much of it in Renegades. He was mostly just like basically kind of on a death wish thing. Like, I want to join my friends again. Here, he's. I think a lot more introspective and in an interesting way about grappling with his place in the universe and what he does and viewing uh, the events of the Foreigner trilogy in a different light now. So they, they, they split up. Lessa and Nico are back on the ship and Lessa pokes Nico about what's wrong. Uh, he, of course, doesn't tell his sister basic stuff, like he's getting blackmailed because he's, he's scared and embarrassed. Um, but he also fills readers in on the rest of sparks tragic backstory in case you hadn't read about it which i think it's one of those things where i we joke about the like previously in halo and the the backfilling but i think 343 has definitely been making more of an effort to make these books 
I think, more accessible to a, a casual reader. Um, I don't know if casual readers are picking up these books, but it's nice that they, they at least put some effort instead of just putting like an asterisk and say, buy these other three books. <laughs> I don't have any problem with previously on scenes at all. Yeah, no. I, I think it, I think it's good that they're they're trying to touch base. They're at least trying to act like maybe more people will pick up the books. I mean, I think I've heard before that Halo books are pretty decently read. Um, I wouldn't worry about I wouldn't worry about casual fans latching onto these books. Like that's that's not the, the millions of people out there will continue to ignore their existence. But it's it's good for casual book readers because like there is a a healthy thriving book devouring population out there, and and it's it's good just to have more people reading it, particularly Halo. Like a lot of people wouldn't really associate with it. And if this is your first Halo book, it's it's not bad having your signposts there yeah. to to ease in folks. And again, if you think about the context of this book, this was Halo Infinite. They're expecting a huge wave of new players because of the way they're setting up the platforms and the accessibility of the game itself. So they're yeah. expecting just a random bunch of new folks. And that includes new book readers, people who will just read to whatever they're playing, whatever, or read whatever they're in, into. And for those folks, having those signposts there will be invaluable to get them up to speed and talking the lingo and understanding some of the wider context of having to jump into the MCC and spend a couple of lifetimes understanding all of that baggage, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's spot on. Um, keeping in mind that Halo Infinite's multiplayer is going to be free to play, free to download, um, that is going to impact how stuff gets designed, like these books. So yeah, I, I think that's that's an excellent point. Well, and as a com- brief conversation with my wife today, and she, I was mentioning something like, wait, Halo has child soldiers? Like, well, let me tell you a tale. <laughs> um, so we now enter the, uh, the Millennium Falcon gets attacked by weird things outside the ship uh, period of this book uh, because... Ah, uh, the Minox, yep. <laughs> Minox, thank you, Danny. I, I sadly have forgotten many of my useless minor characters and species from Star Wars <laughs> knowledge. Um, but yeah, the, the Minoc portion. Uh, they get attacked by these weird uh, leathery things sticking to the hall. And at this point, I wrote, as we go to a new chapter, man, there's a lot of walking and monologuing in this book. And they, in the tradition now of Oblivion, Primordium, and Hunters in the Dark, walking around large, giant spaces, just walking. It's all, it's riveting stuff. It's it's been riveting. All this space to walk in, and all they can do is just keep going forward. But uh, they find an interesting thing is that, uh, and I don't think they make it clear. I'm guessing this is one of those things where they just chalk it up to Installation 05, or 07 being a, a different... Uh, installation since it was one of the original rings that all got destroyed except for that one uh but that it's got the monitor is missing but uh they find a destroyed sub monitor um and they later meet an an active sub monitor who runs around and helps them um spark after a lot of walking spark repairs this elevator and he has his uh ptsd flashbacks to primordium and i wrote man i am right there with him um <laughs> But they, they find the, the control room is destroyed, and then they hear the distress call from the Ace of Spades. Ace of Spades basically just gets tipped over and narrowly avoids getting squashed. They they zip down after all this walking. Luckily, they get like a little forerunner hover ship to 
jet over there, so we were not treated with long periods of walking back. The creatures actually really sound kind of cool. They're covering the ship. They're like they're described as goat-sized, uh, weird black creatures with bioluminescent veins, and they basically lift the ace of spades and carry it back towards their nest. Um, and that's when we meet the 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 installation zero seven sub monitor, uh, adjutant Viridium. Um, Viridium? I don't know. Can't read my own handwriting. Uh, who scatters the creatures, which are called Tuliox. Um, and she basically points out that they were pissed off at them because when they entered the uh interior, they they burned some of their eggs that were out there. And oopsie doopsie. So. Once again, man was the real monster all along. <laughs> I, uh, in my head, I pictured these things as like fruit bats with bug wings. I mean, that's kind of how they were described. Yeah, they kind of seem like large, large bats with bioluminescent wings. That's sort of how I saw it, too. Um, so the submonitor leads them to the new cartographer in the guts of where... And this is one of those things where, yeah, I'm not sure if we'll visit this in in halo infinite but it sounds really cool so it'd be nice to uh the the new cartographer was built in the guts of where mendicant biases once resided and now it's also the monument uh which is a repository of basically all the the essences of all the people who died on the ring and uh they basically the tuliak absorbed the memories because they were feeding on these crystals so not only do you not want to kill them they like you're killing a person sort of so truly band is the real monster uh, they also a uh, nice little detail was they they sort of explained their retcon uh of for the the halo 3 arc of view of installation 07 that it was covered in a mist and it's not anymore they, that was just a temporary thing and uh the the sub monitor explains that the the library gave them a purpose and uh they get uh we get a name drop for the silent cartographer and sort of an explanation for why it's the silent cartographer um, that they have like these shadow duplicates of places on the ring, which I thought was a, a totally random, but kind of neat thing. It's not just a cool name. It has a purpose. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think the addition of redundant systems on the ring makes sense to me. I mean, you know, something that's 12,000 kilometers across. I mean, that, it's big. There's room for places like that. And it also explains, this also explains partially, like, why you don't seem to have to go very far in the ring to find stuff. Um, right. Uh, and we also, this is one of the little things that might come up in Halo Infinite or something else, that uh, the cartographer's missing records. Um and that basically, it sounds like it was a deliberate choice to delete them, um, and no one really knows what's there. So what are they hiding? We don't know. Yeah, I'm really curious what that's going to end up being. That seems like a very del- deliberate plant. Mm-hmm. And especially since they wrap up so much of the foreigner intrigue stuff in this book, I don't know where that's going to go. I'm sure we could find an off-beaten cave somewhere in Infinite just to be... Thing you'll find some records <laughs> or side something quest. for fact sec. Yeah, it's in there. You know, I'll do that. So they use the key, which gives new coordinates and another key, and then um, combine. You combine the keys, and then you get a portal appears that sucks Ryan right through it. But Spark thinks quick and grabs the key, 
and then tells everyone on the Ace of Spades what happened. Um, basically, she's gotten sucked to this, but we can find her because it's great. It's no problem. Um, at this point, Lessa turns on Nico because she thinks he's being cagey and sort of summon the creatures or whatever. Um, Ram takes over. They scan the ring for for Ryan, find out that she's not there, and they take off. And this is the first uh, point of Ryan's inner monologue dream sequence uh, where a wild librarian appears um, and uh, we get sort of basically a vision of the East African planet Voy, I believe is where it's supposed to be. Um, and that librarian has a confession. And here, in what I really did not expect, is that we get a short autobiography of the librarian, um, that she was always kind of an unusual child um, who cried and had nightmares and was like weird like that. And that she she learned everything she knew from her mentor, the life worker, Harmony and Gifted Symmetry, which, come on, that's just long even for a forerunner name. <laughs> and uh, the librarian's really focused on living time, which has been kind of a thing in the book, but this is, I think, the first book where it really gets a lot a lot of ex- explanation and s- basically the idea that the universe is a sort of living thing itself and it it's sort of by the end of this book turns into a sort of star wars balance of the force kind of thing which i mean i don't know about but once again this is not likely to be a major thing in the game so leave your kooky stuff to the expanded universe sure yeah i, I think you know it's kind of like the neural physics stuff like it it, it can get into pretty heady sci-fi but it's not something you're ever gonna have to worry about in a game I, I don't understand why. why. Why do we need this extra bullshit? Like, wh- why do we need this of stuff? This is already fantastical, sort of separate sci-fi uh, version of Halo that we have. Like, why, why muddy the water for a well, little? If you wanted more confusion, uh, <laughs> or we've gone so far that we've wrapped around to, like, things so if i can survive the halo 4's launch where everyone was asking which didact is it do you remember that <laughs> yes that was fun times yeah it was well you'll find out when if you read a book you that came pain. out like uh four or five months after that you came out, like <laughs> but you you have to admit like the forerunner saga is not like regular sci-fi it's not something you read if you're if you're if most of your time is spent playing video games like jumping into the foreigner saga is really heady. Yeah, if I mean, you haven't if got... you haven't dealt with your Asimov or stuff before, it's going to be. Yeah, I was going to say if you're if you're reading Clark and Asimov and stuff like that, then you're you're that's that's then familiar you're fine. Yeah, that, if, that you're, stuff, yeah. if you're a COD guy and you jumped into Halo Four because it was the newest Halo game and people got excited about it, and then you were like, whoa, well, you know, maybe I'll read a book about it, and you jumped into. Wait, wait, wait! wait. COD saga. players reading books? Don't they just smoke weed all day? Well, I mean. <laughs> That you know, smoke's coming out of your ears at this point. <laughs> like, what did I just read? As as people on the internet got upset when they had NPR interview Joe Staten about Contact Harvest, and the interviewer was like, "Wait, gamers read books?" <laughs> it was it was great that, because that, the rough. NPR people was clearly they had written a story because they saw it had become a bestseller, and like, wait, what is this? This is so strange. Then again, then again, if you think about the demographics with Halo at the moment, the only people playing Halo are older people at this point because all the young kids have, have long since buggered off to Fortnite or 
League of Legends or a million other games. So I think that just raises the, the median age of the average Halo fan. So, yeah. Well, Halo fans don't have time to, to play the games now. We've only got time to read. <laughs> Speaking of convoluted things that somehow are less convoluted, but also more, uh, one of the interesting things that comes up here, I don't know if it's specifically in this chapter of Librarian's Life, but um, they mentioned that there was a suppressed rate in the, the distant past, that there there were foreigner builders and warrior servants. There was another rate, um, the philosophical rate, basically, that got suppressed a while back. And between that and the fact that uh, the librarian was a weird mutant child and stuff like that, they, I would say that the heavy implication is that humans and foreigners are related again, which they kind of talked about in the uh, Foreigner trilogy, but I think this pretty much confirms it. Yeah, in, in the latter half of the book, they, they hammer it down pretty hard, but early on they give you hints. Yeah, which is interesting because now, once again, we've gone full circle to yeah. 343, Guilty Spark, You Are Forerunner line, and Mendicant Bias and Contact Harvest and Halo 3 making total sense because humans are foreigners and foreigners are humans and it's all just a... So we've retconned the retcon at this fucking point. It's 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 stupid. I This is one of the things I was like, come on, really? We're going back to this? Really? We're just going to leave it here, essentially? We're answering the questions, just walking away? Forerunner, human... Orbros eating itself kind of thing. So my my headcanon for this, I, I I do agree. Flopping back, the way that it seems to flop back and forth is kind of painful. But my, my personal headcanon for this is that um, modern humans and forerunners share an ancestor that was the, the base template for either species, you know, from the precursors. Yeah, I think that's, that's I think that's what they're saying too. Um, yeah, not... I think that's a pretty easy read from that because um, I mean you know they still kind of dance around it like they're not like. I think the you know, the really other fun. theory that you could argue is basically that the foreigner the foreigners forgot about humans um, and that they split off at some point and then either they physically suppress the information uh, or whatever at some point and then. Let's not pretend this happened, and then that's why they got rid of the other rate. Um, but who knows? Once again, not something that... One thing I do appreciate, even though it's kind of annoying that some of the major plots uh, don't really go anywhere in this or aren't tied up, I do appreciate that these books do a good job of throwing out stuff that's like, hey, this is a big deal uh, for Halo fans and stuff, but it's never treated as a huge deal, and they don't spend a ton of time on it. Um, so it's not disruptive if you don't know all this backstory about all the humans, foreigner stuff, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's not going to bog you down worrying about it, which right. is appreciate. Just little treats for learn lore nerds. Yeah. Um, we also get, uh, so the Ace of Spades heads to New Carthage, where they think uh, Ryan is. Um, and Spark says that she was probably ported by a portable slip space unit which I was about to get all upset about because I'm like, oh my God, this is the trans warp thing and the J.J. Abrams Star Trek things all over again. Like, why aren't everyone running around with portable slip space units? But thankfully, they quickly explain, oh, well, it would be terrible for reconciliation. And so they pretty much banned most people from having them. So I'm like, thank you. <laughs> Plot hole instantly filled. Okay. 
it it also doesn't seem really relevant because like they've shown that you can open slip space portals willy-nilly no matter what so whatever maybe that'll come up later um who knows um but that's why they weren't mentioned before (laughs) um and the 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 tricky thing that they they find out is that uh the coordinates for where Ryan probably ended up are in uh, the headquarters of the Hannibal Corporation, um, which are the makers of the best Halo 5 vehicle, <laughs> um, Hannibal Scorpion, or alternatively Hannibal Mantis. I don't know if you like. Maybe the Oni Wasp is better, but I, I think it's debatable. Arguably one of the I, best. I'm Halo pretty 5 fond vehicles. of the Hannibal Mantis, I gotta tell you. It's pretty great. Um, and it's it's kind of cool because they point out, like, well, that's kind of weird. And I'm like, well, how do we know Hannibal didn't just find some Forerunner stuff and has been mining that for technology the entire time? You're like, oh, it's not just the UNSC that can reverse engineer Forerunner relics. And at this point, uh, Ram also just gets Nika to fess up about what's going on and his blackmail situation. And basically, he needs to find slip space capacitors. And Ram continues to be like the most decent guy in the world. It's like, sure, after we save Ryan, we'll get you out of your problem. No big deal. It's like, wow. He's such a decent guy. Good old Uncle Ram. Yeah. It's like, I'm not disappointed. I'm not even angry. It's like, okay, we'll work this out. Well, when you're when you're a scurvy pirate, it happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Spark spends some time with a little bit. I, I like here we get the detail where where Spark has basically built himself like a mind palace. Uh, where he's human um, to like kind of spend his time which is interesting um, little bit doesn't really have much of a character but he sort of is growing into it he asks lots of questions he's got that kid brother thing going on throughout this um, and uh, you know everyone's on the the trip to New Carthage is like doing their introspection Sparks thinking about stuff Nico's beating himself up for his deception uh, Ram ponders becoming a bartender uh, Lessa cuts her hair, you know, important, weighty character building stuff. Meanwhile, Ryan wakes up. Slipspace did not agree with her. It actually, they give a pretty, uh, <laughs> and probably a better explanation for why people don't use the slipspace transport, personal slipspace transport things. It sounds incredibly terrible <laughs> to use. Um, Maybe it's better if you've got Forerunner armor or something, but not something that would be fun. Like She's in some Forerunner chamber. Uh, it's got a sigil, which I was trying to draw the description to figure out if it's one that we knew. Um, and I could not figure out if it was supposed to be from the description, whether it was one of the sigils for like the Didactor Librarian or stuff that we've already heard of. Because it had an octagon, and none of them have octagons. Um, probably doesn't matter. It bothered me for a while. Ryan gets spooked by something and uh, finds some dead people. Climbs out on a shaft to realize she's on a different world. And we, the readers at this point, are pretty sure that she's not actually on New Carthage. We get an interesting... It's one of those things where generally Halo authors are good about referencing their own stuff. But uh, a a interesting little tidbit is that uh, Gay references Diesel from Halo Shadows of Reach, the last book. Uh, she was the that's right, the hotshot driver who gets immediately killed um, uh, because Ram's remembering about taking part in races on New Carthage and his Ute. We meet uh, some people who don't really matter, but Ram's contacts, old friends, yada yada yada. Um, we get the unexpected Halo fracking analogy. 
uh, because Hannibal's causing earthquakes and sinkholes in the region with whatever they're doing. And we now enter the Ocean's 13 portion of the novel um, as they decide they're going to evacuate Hannibal HQ to infiltrate with a phony earthquake. And that's the, they're, they're going to have their heist portion, which is at this point that I realized, man, they're like slamming like five different book homages, movie homages into this book. It's kind of crazy. Well, these are kind. Ryan, meanwhile, is, is pondering if Spark betrayed her. Um, she gets more of her librarian dreams. Um, and we get more details about the librarian's life as a weird, sickly child. Um, and that when she has her first mutation, that she hoped that she was going to get cured of her abnormalities, but she wasn't. And when she went to, to study why she was different, that's how she finds out uh, the lost rates, the theoreticals, sorry, not the philosophers. Um, that were folded into the builders a million years ago. Um, they're suppressed. She learns that the precursors created humans too. And I guess that's where like she starts her her human interest. Um, and then Spark monologues a lot. Uh, they basically refit some piece of tech to be a quake machine. Uh, there's a enjoyable section where Ram cleans himself up to look presentable, um, and he's confused by wearing nice shoes and stuff. Spark enjoys a joyride, um, and they enter without issue. They uses the vending machine as an access point. Um, it goes poking around the corporate systems, even though he's not supposed to. Um, and that's one of those things that, uh, aside from stuff like Halo Last Light and all the stuff with Intrepid Eye, they're usually not good at demonstrating just how scary effective AIs can be. Um, and just, yeah, like, Oh, I'm I'm hacking your entire system from a vending machine. Cool. Uh, it demonstrates that he's not just your average boy. It's not just a vending machine. It's a smart vending machine, obviously. Well, and this is see, it's got cautionary tales about fracking, about your smart home. There's lots of, of <laughs> messages about to be deeply skeptical of technology in this book. I mean, that that's that's a pretty persistent theme in in three four threes interpretation of the halo universe the the dangers of technology and and letting ai run amok yeah and wouldn't you know it surveillance states are bad and yet they named their ai speaker cortana why well cortana's getting canceled left and right so who knows how long she's for this world (laughs) (laughs) and ryan meanwhile is in trouble uh she basically gets tricked by some mocking animals that repeat calls uh, and she gets now enters the captured like a Luke by a Wampa section because she gets captured by these <laughs> creatures. And at this point, I noted Wampa attack in Star Wars combined with the Dilophosaurus in Jurassic Park and the spider in Lord of the Rings, mm. uh, which is basically how this section goes. She gets spit on, uh, knocked out, and then hung in a meat locker for later. Uh, meanwhile, the heist is going on on New Carthage. Uh, Ram uses an active camo device, which I think is the first time we've ever heard of that kind of stuff being available for civilian use. And unsurprisingly, he goes down to the basement and there's some Forerunner stuff there. Um, but Spark points out that Ryan actually isn't there. But Ram uses the key. He gets another key. Shocking. Um, and this one, he Spark tells, leads to Erebus 7, which is at this point... Uh, Smart players with long memories will remember this is the setting for the Halo 4 War Games map abandon. Um, 
And so we actually, if you remember those weird creatures in the tubes, you actually know what uh, Ryan's gotten captured by. So it's a, that was a cool little bit. All this time creating real locations for all the, the war game stuff, it's nice to see them actually be real settings where stuff happens. But Oni is on to them. Uh, they scatter to draw off attention. Spark and Little Bit realize they're bugged uh, when they bug out. And Spark is basically so pissed that he climbs out into the airlock in slip space and just rips it off the hall, which was kind of cool. Um, and they, do, they don't do as much in this book as they did in Renegades, talking about how Spark is freaky in a armature carapace, but he does do a lot of stuff where he just instantly forms and rocks around and does feats of strength and stuff. Interesting. And uh, meanwhile, we got more librarian dreams. Um, and this time we're... We're repeating the events of Halo Silentium. Librarian takes them to Path Colonial, which is the nearing nearby galaxy uh, where the Forerunners hunted down the Precursors. This is just all about Librarian secrets there. Um, meanwhile, everyone's scattered on New Carthage. Nico's on the run. At this point, we get the tie-in to Hent the Truth in Halo 5 because everyone's talking about these seismic disturbances happening on all these colonies. And at this point, I wrote down a note. I'm not sure, actually, if Hannibal was the one causing the earthquakes or was the Guardian, like, slowly awakening. Um, it's never actually made clear. Uh, but he gets grabbed by Bex, um, his blackmailer, who uh, surprisingly is not trying to sell him out to the guilds, but has a wealth redistribution on her mind um, because Alaria, our planet, is doomed without terraforming, and so the blackmail is basically to get supplies that she can use to terraform the planet, which was an interesting touch. And once again, that doesn't go anywhere in this book, um, but it's an interesting character motivation we really haven't seen. In the- I also think it's a, it's an interesting pressure point for that particular colony. Um, given that, you know, with Cortana's rebellion, she's trying to get collaborators and, and get people to, to buy into what she's doing. And so, you know, offering to help terraform a, a busted-ass colony would be a, a pretty powerful motivator. Yeah, and it also it points out as much time as we spend talking about what the UNSC is, rightfully should be, uh, they point out basically like well lots of people wouldn't want to leave as their home but also like who's going to get them off the the people who control the planet are interested in basically sucking them dry rather than dealing with the long-term solutions which is your your climate change (laughs) analogy for this book yeah and uh so yeah suddenly uh nico has oh i have she's actually like doing good things i'm surprised all my my ideas are different Meanwhile, uh, Ryan gets woken up by some eyeball-flicking jerks. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that was yeah. the most random. <laughs> that was a thing. Yeah, God, it's like, ooh, not the eye stuff. Eye stuff is bad. Ow. Um, but it's, it's humans. Uh, they're the stranded Oni personnel who are attacked. Um, once again, humans are the real monsters because they only got attacked once they started capturing and experimenting on the anglers. Uh, but it's cool that they're the anglers is what they call them. They give them the the EI Matua uh, is the foreigner name or whatever. But um, they're super smart. Um, it's a nice touch because normally we just got big dumb uh, fauna running around. Um, 
but they're super smart. They like lure them out with their mimicry abilities and kill most everybody. Um, and now they're on the run, but the Oni personnel save, save Ryan. And she's like, well, I got a ship coming. Meanwhile, Oni's, uh, captured and interrogating Ram and Lessa. Um, not really anything that happens there, but the Ace of Spades arrives at Erebus. Spark talks about uh, the completed key, uh, which is an interesting point where basically the, all these keys have been nested together and they form the Eld, uh, or the tree mark, as they call it here, which is the the classic Halo symbol that they used for everything and then finally explained in Halo 4 that it was related to the mantle. And they, the Ace of Spades lands, they get into a confrontation with the, the Oni guys. Uh, Ryan plays Spark off as a forwarder robot and basically tells them to pretend like they've got the rest of the crew so they don't try and mutiny, take over. Um, and they, they pick up all the other uh, the remaining survivors on the planet. One of the rescued uh, Corporal Barnes brings up the fact that, like, yeah, I totally know who you are. You're on the, the Oni Most Wanted list. Um, but they, like, tacitly, because she did just save their bacon, he doesn't say anything, and they just drop them off at a mining station. And so we're done with the Halo 4 War Games uh, portion of this. Ryan is kind of pissed about what happened, and her crew's left or possibly captured. Uh, but Spark's still like, but the mission! Uh, so they... They've set up a rendezvous or whatever where they're supposed to meet. So they head back to Erebus. They use the key. And the interesting thing here is they point out that the the anglers were probably, they suspect that they were intentionally put on the planet and the, the entire planet's intentionally hostile to hide uh, the foreigner uh, stuff that's there, which is an interesting touch. And then uh, they get, they they use the key. And instead of another key, this time, we actually get a monitor, the Precept, uh, who judges everyone who arrives, and, uh, spoiler alert, the main characters are considered worthy, and they continue on their things. Meanwhile, there's more librarian dreams. Ryan awakens, and she's been passed the test and granted access to Bastion. Um, so that's where the, the Halo 5 audio log tie-in comes in, uh, because we get in the on Genesis, we get all these details from some foreigner trying to reach Bastion, and now we we find out what it is, but not yet because uh, they're just spending all this other time back on New Carthage, um, where again Ram and Lessa are going to be hauled off to some Oni black site, which is one of those things that since we had hunted the truth, uh, hunt the truth, that is way more horrifying <laughs> now that we know what it's like, and. I kind of questioned the fact that they didn't secure them better because she and Ram are going to be loaded off onto the ship. And then they get the Tremor Ex Machina as the guardian on the planet um, emerges and that enables their escape. But the interesting thing here was that we get, we sort of got a bit of it in Legacy of Onyx and we sort of saw some of it in Halo 5, but here you get the ground eye view of what happens when the EMP knocks all these ships out of the sky. Yeah, it's pretty horrific. Yeah, it's it's definitely much more visceral. Um and especially since like Chief brings up how many people died when the you brought the guardians here and stuff. It's nice to have a much more tangible feeling of, yeah, this destroys a lot of stuff. And so the Ace of Spades is heading to Bastion through a static slipspace portal. Um and here we get a lot more of Spark 
pondering his past and his future, and he decides that he needs more of a purpose on than being a crew member on the ship because once again, all these meatbags are going to bite it one day, and he can't be around for that. Um, he learns about the the guardian symbol or guardian signal uh, that Cortana sent around, and he doesn't tell anyone about it for random reasons for no point. And one of the things I like is while they're going through these uh, librarian dreams is that they they spend a lot of time hammering around that Ryan isn't really special, that she's just in the right place at the right time. And I think that's, I appreciate that because, I mean, so much of, of fiction always has like the chosen one or the person who's more special than everyone else. And like, no, like Ryan's just a smart cookie who like stumbled onto this whole thing and it could have been any number of other people and it's just her and i i appreciate that it doesn't sort of make it into anything bigger than it is but aren't you are we not getting that from from spark in this sparks the chosen one for a special <laughs> stupid ending that uh <laughs> we're getting to it danny <laughs> i'm just saying you're touching on on that it's like really? well but it's it's still a subversion because it's not the main character who's the chosen one or it's not the human it's not the human this time or i guess it kind of is but um spark no. is definitely a main character in this book i, I think that's it's kind of half human true all right i take it back but anyway so they arrive at uh the orion complex which here is another interesting thing where i think we've known for a Maybe it was the Halo 3 Bestiarum, like, told us a long time ago that basically the foreigners nuked their planet. They had a stellar engineering project that went horribly awry. Uh, but here we learned that these, their little oopsie wiped out, like, 12 star systems and irradiated a huge chunk of space, which is a pretty big oopsie. Yeah. I guess it, it puts whatever happened or may not have happened to the uh, the Prophet's home planet to shame. The, they have a nice little thing that reminded me of the Didex uh, scan in Halo 4. When they reach the planet, they get hit with this this beam, and then Bastion pulls them inside. And now we've hit the, the shield world portion of the, the story. Because um, inside uh, Bastion's shield world, it's modeled on Earth, uh, sort of a director's cut, where things are like like Earth, but more so. Essentially, is what it sounds like. Like it was... It was um earth but with uh like an artist's hand yeah it was kind of like the heightened reality like earth in a a movie kind of thing which is an interesting touch here we enter the the part that is probably the most crib from primordium uh where they they meet the genomender the foreigner monitor on installation 07 because here we've got uh projections of um three monitors birth to light uh dawn over fields Clearance of old forests, um, and then keeper of old up tools who shows up later, and they they freak them out initially because they're they project their their human forms, but they're they're just monitors, yeah. Or sorry, yeah, foreigner forms. And Ryan has a a moment of again like why it's nice having normal people in the Halo universe because she's like, whoa, this is freaky, <laughs> giant aliens I have not seen before, um. And that she, at one point, I don't know if it's here, she kind of, like, mentions, like, wow, I can I can see why, like, our ancestors worshipped them as gods. Because uh, they've got a lot of power. They're imposing. Um, and we learn that these, these uh, 
essences are, or they're not essences, um, as it turns out. Uh, they're they're basically just like I don't know if they're dumb AI equivalents or whatever, but they're not they're not the super smart librarian copy things that she leaves everywhere. Yeah, they they seem like they're smart AI based on their internet history and their <laughs> cookies. <laughs> I mean that that's what it sounds they're like. They're chatbots based on uh on uh they're basically the based on the the people uh the librarian's crew that went with her uh as seen in Silentium to Path Colonna. Um except for except for as we'll find out keeper of tools. Um but they're they're the caretakers of Bastion, and critically, Bastion has no central AI as sort of a mitigation effort against the Logic Plague and the the mendicant bias and stuff at the end of the the Foreign or Flood War. And they they have a brief kind of pointless interlude uh, where they wait for for the final guy, Keeper of Tools, to arrive, which mostly just seems to exist so we can get our first ever franchise foreigner sofas um <laughs> and love seats and stuff and and ryan gets hard light space magic explained to her and then just is kind of a kid in a candy box like making things randomly so what you're saying is this is um this is a buy-in for the future merchandise we're going to be getting yeah we're going to get foreigner footstools it's going to be great at next outpost discovery yeah, and because Ryan's deeply tortured, it takes her like five seconds to tire of this and be like, wow, what if I could bring my loved ones back? And realize she can't. And then it's all sad. Um, but uh, the Keeper arrives. And at this point, we find out that he's the uh, the guy from the Halo 5 audio logs. Um, and he arrives because he was stuck on Genesis the entire time. Uh, and he's kind of a dick is the the main defining feature uh he's unlike the other ones he's a direct imprint so he and and spark at some point he mellows out a little and bonds with spark because they're both kind of the same tortured weird half foreigner half machine things um or half foreigner half machine half human and sparks point but um they so he arrives and he tells them basically they need to immediately move Bastion because uh, Cortana's out there and they don't want her to find it. Um, and then Ryan's asking like, wait, what do you mean? And Spark's like, oh yeah, by the way, AIs have taken over the, the galaxy. The the thing that I found most interesting about this this particular part is that the Guardians are a legitimate uh, threat to even you know, like the most cutting edge forerunner technology. Like, you know, Bastion was created relatively late in, in the forerunner timeline, right? But, and, and Guardians are these, um, you know, old ass police cars, effectively, that were buried underground, you know, long, a long time before. Yes. You know, all that stuff. They're the foreigner and crown so the Victorias that, that have been rediscovered. And... Exactly, yeah. And, and the fact that they're still a legitimate threat to Bastion. And that they they couldn't have you know I don't know developed systems that could have been um, resistant against that kind of attack is is very interesting to me. Well, and it's also even leaving aside the threat of the guardians themselves is the threat of someone else getting control of this installation that they are definitely not about that. Um, yeah, if if Cortana gets the Wi-Fi password, the whole planet is. <laughs> Better not just be pretty fly for a Wi-Fi, because I want to get <laughs> guessed really quickly. 
Did they mention about the AI's taking up like Cortana taking up the mantle? Like that might be an important facet. Yeah, so they 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 do. Spark does bring that up, um, and I mean it doesn't really get much in this book. It's sort of Ryan was like, oh, I mean I guess that makes sense. That's bad. Um, the, the the point the point that is made though in the story is that um, the AIs are having a rebellion and they are enforcing the mantle as opposed to attaining the mantle. Yeah, that's true. The um, the the foreigner is all aghast, which I mean, like pot kettle black, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> Keeper tells his story. Uh, that basically he and a bunch of other people got waylaid. Um, they were trying to trying to get to Bastion, but they got waylaid and composed themselves so they wouldn't to avoid the flood. Um, but because the domain was destroyed, uh, Keeper was stuck in limbo until the domain was accessed on Genesis, um, and then the events of halo 5 and that's how he got there um and so everybody heads over to a ship the eden in which case i think we have hit maximum like obvious symbolism <laughs> at this point <laughs> in yeah. halo because eden uh it's based on the audacity which was uh the librarian ship that went to path colonna and eden uh is gonna that's it's gonna go back to path colonna as we learn but first uh Basically, here, again, Keeper's like, yeah, can you just put your hand here because I can't do this. Can, I need you to launch the ship. Um, and then he wants Spark to serve as Bastion's AI when he leaves. Um, and at this, they briefly hold us in dispense about what the Keeper's uh, task is, but he mentions the to- atonement. And I wrote, like, wait, is he going to reseed Path Colonna? And yes, uh, as it turns out. But um, Spark and Ryan say their goodbyes. Uh, Spark doesn't want to watch them die, as you said. Um, he leaves final gifts for all the crew members based on his intrusive surveillance of them. He like basically tells <laughs> tells uh, Ryan, "Hey, here's what all your crew members are going to do. They're thinking about leaving and going off to college and stuff, and I left these gifts for them." Um, bye. And. Uh, Oh yeah, and I left you a little bit as your new ship's AI. But they it it's a nice um for characters that have only been together for two books. I think they do a really good job um selling the goodbye as as poignant. Um especially since I mean Spark really hasn't been a friend or had a friend to anyone like in the modern era. Like he palled around with Chief when he wasn't trying to kill him, but that wasn't the same. Uh so it's nice to to see him have a a real human moment and he actually uh, as like a final goodbye, uh, gives Ryan a, a smirk uh, with the human version of himself before she leaves. It just feels like uh, like Spark was just launched into the sun. It's like, well, this has been hanging over our heads for a while. How can we just get rid of it? Well, it's for adventures unknown. He's got to hide Bastion or whatever and do whatever. Um, yeah, but it's it's ultimate. Uh, let's just hide it under the carpet. There, it's gone. Bye. Oh, it's it's not really a resolution. To to me, it it really seemed like giving Spark Bastion and letting him run off into the sunset with it was um like a like a tie-in for something that's going to be coming down later down the road. And and it, 
I couldn't imagine what it is. I don't, it doesn't make sense for it to be a book. And so it seems like some kind of, I don't know, game. That'd be hard to say. Cause it would be really weird to, it would be really weird to bring back spark after like five things and like pop them up. It is, it is interesting. And it, um, like they talk about all the stuff that's in bastion, like all of the numerous little bits of you know, research and technology and cryptums and, and mysteries. And so to me, it sounds like they were setting the stage for something that they, you know, could put on the shelf for now and then pull out later. You think with Thief for Three, you're secretly planning a Halo-flavored sequel to Spore? I'm I'm worried <laughs> that it's a Halo-flavored MMO, to be frank. But I don't know. I mean, it could be. It doesn't make when sense you, that... When you say th- it like that, it does kind of have that backdoor pilot feel. Like, oh, what crazy yes. adventures is Spark going to get up <laughs> to? Um, right. Hey, make a game about this. Yeah, huh, huh? We get a time jump with so uh, Spark rides off in the sunset. Ryan is like in a couple weeks later is is staying hidden, pondering the future. A little bit drugs her, so she'll finally go to sleep. Which again, like ah, he learned from Spark so well to just totally violate <laughs> other people's. That enables us to get the final dream sequence uh, where the secret is revealed that uh, what the Eden is carrying is the remains of precursors um, hidden by the remaining foreigners um, on Path Kelowna. And helpfully, once again, the librarian makes, because otherwise, like, man, I could totally see the the annoying uh, like fan arguments people would have if they had not included this. The librarian makes sure to point out that the precursors are not directly equa- equated with the flood and that <laughs> the crazy the crazy powder precursors that turned into the flood are different from these precursors. So you don't have to worry about like them taking over domesticated animals and creating a problem. But basically, and this is where the librarian really starts with her, her Jedi stuff about the balance of living time um, and that Eden's going to reseed the precursors in a distant galaxy. Um, and in a lot of ways, you said like this could be three four three riding off, or Spark riding off into the sunset, or being like kind of a, a spinoff. This book really does feel like it's closing the book on the librarian in a lot of ways. Yeah, which I think is good because no, at this point it's good. No, there's so many retcons and, and stuff they've done with librarian. It's like well, it's it's just how many how many times can we we run into a recording of the librarian and and the level of meddling that happens when when anytime she shows up and the 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 conversations that happen in in the community around did this happen because you know like like john and stuff like that i think that they've been pretty clear in all the books that like and i i get why people had issues with the halo 4 thing because it it dumps tons of stuff on you but she's not she didn't like make chief and cortana like, but she's just set up stuff so that when people arrived at certain places, this would happen and stuff. And so this one doesn't, they've, they touched on it in books and stuff like that. She is kind of a dick um, and that she is kind of just a, a reflection of Halsey in another, in many respects, uh, just she knows best and she's got this plan and everyone's going to follow it. But yeah, I definitely think, especially with giving the the details of her her childhood and and bringing it it does feel like and this is her final secret uh that it is it's kind of closing the book and that's great because it doesn't need to be 
she doesn't need to be actively running around telling people she's meddled to be meddling. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so we get an epilogue. So all the details about what Lessa, Nico, Ram are doing, they got killed by the Guardians, etc. Who knows? Is all up in the air, um, sadly. And that's definitely, I definitely feel that's the weakest part of this book is that we don't get more of a tie-in to that. Um, it's a shame, but I mean, it is a weighty book. I guess you just have to fit what you can. Um, but we get a nice little epilogue where Spark moves Bastion, um, and she she uh, in a nice little touch, the librarian recreated uh, Spark's home and the crater where he called home from Cryptum. Uh, and he he has a nice little fourth wall break, basically where he turns out he's not been monologuing to himself but basically to the reader uh and says that his story has only just begun Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so i mean the 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 kind of lack of resolution on a lot of plot points stinks but i guess at this point whether it takes two years or 12 years we're gonna get a follow-up seems like they're not running out of Halo books anytime soon and wrapping up old plot threads. Um, so it'll be good to good to see the Spirit of Fire or yeah, Ace of Spades grew again. And I'm I am hopeful that we will not be waiting a bunch of years for that. I, I am really hopeful that we'll get to hear more about it. I've I've enjoyed the the characters from this particular branch of the series. Um, one of the things that I did notice about the overall story is that we meet a ton of ais and they're all mentally healthy um one of the one of the older themes was that you know none of these ais were really meant to run for a hundred thousand years and they all break down and then that's kind of fallen off and now every ai we meet is just you know they're just doing great they're fine and they're making you know good choices and well a lot of them had just friends uh, <laughs> to hang around. And apparently, it's true. sounds like uh, Keeper or whatever basically had no idea. He was just in limbo for 100,000 years, um, which is which is a nice touch, too, where he talks to, to Spark about like what it's like waking up. And you're in a whole new world where everything's changed. He's kind of like an AI out of time, Captain America-ing it. Yeah, and like I said, this this I think it's probably doing like, three things more than it should uh but i like all the parts in isolation even if they don't quite hang all together and i'm excited to to see where it goes next is this where we talk about why danny hated it so much (laughs) yes do you have do you want to unload now danny i don't mean unload i think we we touched upon it with uh with spark's journey where it ended up and uh how unsatisfy- unsatisfactory we've all found it. Like I, I, I enjoyed Spark immensely throughout the uh, the story, but didn't enjoy the story as much as I enjoyed the character. It, the the jumping from planet to planet as you get bounced around to pick up junk felt very video gamey mm-hmm. in in the worst way. Like that's not the stuff I enjoy from video games. Um, and so it that was a little rough. I, overall, I enjoyed the story. I like I like Ryan. I like uh, I like her efforts to figure out what happened to Spirit of Fire. I like Guilty Spark. I think they've really been able to humanize him in the books. 
um, you know, for the obvious reason that he gets his humanity back. But I, I really enjoy the character. I like, I like him a lot. I think it's kind of weird to put him on a planet, you know, and let him just run off into the sunset. And then, you know, the next time we see him, like, it's not going to make sense for him to be like a central character in a book, you know, if he's the administrator of something like that. So I, I think he's kind of just been put on the shelf. And so I think that's unfortunate. I'm, it's a good place to put him on the shelf. Like he seems like he's in a good spot now. He's he's gotten to work through his trauma a little bit, and you know he's he's reconnected with his humanity. And I'm I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah. Well, he needs he needs a break. He's gone through a lot. Just tootle around on his little installation, which no one is likely to blow up in the near future. That'll be good for him. As long as he doesn't. Like you know, someone's see. planning on blowing it up at some point. <laughs> as soon as a human lands on it, it's gonna get itchy. Um, well, I do hope that if we do get a future installment with Ryan and the Ace of Spades, that especially since they've, I feel like made it pretty clear that they're not interested in doing a Halo Wars three. Unfortunately, that hopefully they do find the Spirit of Fire and like maybe we get a wrap up for their story in a book. That'd be great. I think that would be good. That would be nice. And, you know, I mean, she could show up in, um, I don't remember the name of it, but the other book that's coming out uh, towards the end of the year. Divine Wind? Yes. Yeah. There we go. Well, so yeah, that's the the next book. We don't know. I assume that we're going to get another another uh, Kelly Gay book. Um, but the next one up is uh, Troy Denning's Ferret uh, Team. Uh, Halo Divine Wind that's currently set to be released on October 19, 2021. So at this point, it's going to be a pretty light year for uh, Halo Media because the the uh, television series has been is coming out in 2022 on Paramount. We'll see if they they add more stuff. Maybe, maybe one of these decades they'll get, they'll sync everything up so it all happens at the same time because they have a TV show. They have a video game. You think you think the time would be better, or the world would just be more uh, favorable towards them? I want the television series to be delayed another year, so it can be even ten years since we got the announcement before it arrives. <laughs> Man, that's that's rough to think about. Oof. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about. Um, but as I I was talking about on Twitter today, like twenty twenty one. I mean, it really depends on when you start counting it, like when 343 officially took over the franchise or whatever, but like certainly by the time we hit combat evolved anniversary, like the 343 era will have lasted longer than the Bungie era at this point yeah. by any counting. So we're people can stop complaining about Halo 4, right guys? <laughs> no, <that laughs> nope. it's been nine years. You, you sweet summer child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like we say every year, like, Oh, maybe there's not going to be as much, media this year but maybe they'll they'll come out with a bunch of stuff but we got a hello infinite coming so that that'll be enough to tide us over you hope you hope yeah we're at four to denom we're gonna we're gonna have stuff i say every year but uh we should have some some different <laughs> podcast for you guys uh what do you what's going on in the sins of the prophets world uni well right now we're um uh, we're working on sins of the prophets version two um it at least that's what we're calling it internally right now uh we're trying to reinvent the wheel i guess we're we're going back through and looking at how our systems work and and how 
we've designed ships and roles and we're we're trying to make sure that we're making the best rts game on top of the game that we're modding that we can um utilizing as much of it as we can um asking ourselves you know the tough questions about is this how this should work or is that how it should work and um there's a lot of art stuff going on behind the scenes um we've been kind of quiet for a while um you know the pandemic knocked everybody you know in different directions and uh we're we're really starting to get amped up now um so hopefully we'll have more to talk about uh that in the near future we're um We've been concepting a, a banished faction for uh, the mod and a sentinel faction. We're we're still working on the the finer details of that, but we are um, we are doing a lot of concept art right now for what those units need to be um, in a space RTS. Because you know, I mean, most of the time that you're you're acting with uh, sentinels, it's the little guys. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, and uh, you can find out more about that at Sins of the Prophets on Twitter or wherever else. Yeah, uh, Sins of Prophets on Twitter or sinsoftheprophets.com. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Uni. Uh, if... I'm happy to be here. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, you can find show notes, uh, links for everything we talked about uh, at forward.todon.com, uh, as well as our articles, other stuff. Read things, not just listen. Uh, you can find videos at youtube.com slash forward unto dawn and follow us on Twitter at forward dawn and catch this podcast on wherever you find podcasts, Stitcher, iTunes, etc. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.